Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Lords, the King of Kings. I want to tell the whole world about him. That was a falling in love with Jesus. That always, I mean, that's it. Yeah. I just never, ever look back from that. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Café con Santos, a show where we promote the rosary, reflect on the life of the saints, and share many journeys in the faith. I am your host, Ricardo Hernandez, and with me today is Sue Cummins. So you guys are going to get a chance to hear a lot today from, from Sue. But before we get started, Sue, I did want to ask you the most important question. Are you ready? Yes, I think. Okay. Do you like coffee? Yes, I love coffee. All right. Good. Cheers to that. Cheers. Okay, so on this episode, we're going to be talking with Sue, who has been involved or part of the uh, Southwest Detroit community for, I want to say, over 15 years or so. Yeah, and so I got this house 16 years ago. Wow, so yeah, it's it's been a minute. Uh, so today we're gonna get to hear some of her wisdom, some some maybe insights that she's gained over the years. Uh, all while in the the later part of the show, we're gonna be talking about Saint Genevieve. Uh, so uh, Sue, uh, before we get into that, we're gonna start with prayer, and then we're gonna go straight into today's episode. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of life. Lord, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to be with us in this episode, in this conversation. I ask that you uh, help us to, to speak the truth of all the beautiful, amazing, powerful things you have done in our lives, and in a particular way, what you have done in the life of Sue, Lord. I ask that you protect us from the enemy. Do not let any technical difficulties get in the way. And I also pray for all the listeners that they may experience uh, a glimpse of of the love that, that you have for all of us, Lord, that you may help them in whatever situation that they might be going through, and that we just overall enjoy uh, this episode. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you're just going to have to answer as honestly as possible. Are you ready? Yes. All right. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? I thought about this. I can't remember. Um, I don't know. <laughs> to be able to just bring blessing to people. Be a source of light to people? Yeah. Okay. Uh, are you a fan of country music? Yes. Okay. Are you See how much quicker than superpowers? Yes. Are you a dog or a cat person? I'm very I'm not either except for very specific animals, but if I had to choose between dog and cat, probably I'd say dog. 
And if it was an animal that you would have, what would it be? Well, if I lived in the country where the dog could run, I would have a Siberian Husky. Uh, what set of mysteries do you like the most when praying the rosary? Powerful mysteries. What was one of your favorite cartoons as a kid? Mighty Mouse. Mighty Mouse? Out it out. If you were given a thousand dollars right now, what is the first thing you would do with it? Fix the windows in my house. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is one thing that most people do not know about you? I um, studied judo when I was in high school. What's judo? Whatever they teach. I'm just jiu-jitsu. Is that when you throw people over your shoulders? Oh, okay. How was that like? Well, I learned some basic principles how, of how to get out of a dangerous situation without having to use judo. <laughs> what was one of those? Uh... To distract, to, to um, just get out of there rather than try and have a confrontation. Uh, what is your dream job? For somebody else to run a retreat center and that I could just be there praying with people, healing and... Is there any song or music genre that annoys you? Yeah, really loud, loud, hard rap and rock. Are you a fan of uh, the so-called Christian rap? Haven't run into something you like? Some of it's okay. It's fun. Some of it's fun. But not really your... It's your not stuff. what I would like to do in the radio, in the car. And what, what would be something that would you put you in a, in a good mood? The opposite of annoy. Of music? Yeah. I like some. Christian praise. I, I like Lord Daigle songs. And then lastly, if you could be the patron saint of one thing, what would it be? I guess I would be the patron saint of, of new Christians, people who have recently encountered Christ. Oh, that's an interesting one. All right. Well, thank you, Sue, for that portion of Ask Sue. So now uh, we're going to jump into a little bit of your testimony. Uh, so could you talk to us a, a little bit about what your faith journey has been like? I grew up in a um, home where my mom who was Presbyterian, was a very faithful Presbyterian. My dad had been Baptist. I went with my mom to the Presbyterian church, but I had my first encounter with Jesus in a personal way as a result of one of my uh, second grade classmates approaching me. First of all, she approached me and asked me, was I a Christian? And I went home and asked my mother, am I a Christian? And my mother said, why? yes. Why did anybody ask you that? Like, why, 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 who asked you? Because I think she was a little suspicious of somebody asking me that. But this very same friend at school invited me to vacation Bible school. I like to share this because I know different people work with children with catechism and vacation Bible schools, and you don't always know what fruit gets born. But at that vacation Bible school, at the very end, we went into the church, and somebody just basically preached the gospel, talked about Jesus and how he died to save us from our sins. 
even though I was only seven, I knew that I needed to be forgiven. I had a, you know, I had my consciousness of sin had kicked in and I knew that I needed to be forgiven. And I went up front and they said, well, just ask Jesus into your heart. And I said, I don't know pray. And they said, just say a quiet prayer in your heart. So I asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins and come into my heart. And I had a very strong encounter of the presence of, of Jesus. I experienced him coming into my heart. I, I started crying. I missed my ride. They had to take me home to my mom. She took me up on her lap and I said, okay, now that I've done this, what do I do? I gave my life to Jesus. And my mother very wisely said, pray, go to church, and read the Bible. So I think that experience really marked my life because I, I knew that God was personal. I knew that he loved me. Um, over the years, I didn't get the best formation in my church. I didn't get the best direction. I kind of wandered around for a while in my teen years. Um, teaching Sunday school, but also just going to parties and sort of not quite a double life, but I, I didn't get a solid theological formation that you need as, a, as, a, as an older teen. And then I got into New Age stuff because I saw in my church, read the Bible, I saw there was healing, I saw there were people who were excited about Jesus, and I looked around at church, and nobody seemed very excited. I didn't see healings. And because I had not heard anything about devil, I didn't really believe that there was a devil, or I didn't understand about there being evil power as well as good power. So I got into New Age stuff, got into, um, and, and eventually was at a point where I believed that Jesus was a great man. He was a healer. I wanted to be like him. But I believed that he was a man like, like me or like you that had reached some enlightened state. And I had lost my understanding of him, Savior, and God. So at that point, I was thinking of, I was very, I wanted to know truth. And I was thinking of joining a, a Buddhist sem, um, colony in, in, in Rochester, New York. Cause and, they, uh, around this time, how old were you? I was, at that, by then I was like, um, 20. Okay. So I'm thinking about, I had dropped out of college, thinking about either go back and study um, oceanography and work by an ocean or go to the Zen Buddhist colony because those people would meet in the morning and meditate, go to work, and then meditate in the afternoon. I was looking for people who were serious about seeking truth and also, I think, for community, for other people to share that uh, seeking with. Um, but then I knew that Buddhism wasn't the fullness of truth because I still had that experience of the personal love of God the Father and, and Jesus the Savior. Even though I had lost my understanding of Jesus as God, I had had that experience of a very personal God. My mother was praying for me. She told me about prayer meetings that were taking place at the Newman Center uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. and I. Ended up going to a prayer meeting and experiencing God there, again, in a very tangible way, like I had experienced him maybe when I was off in the mountains in Colorado and beauty of nature. Well, this was in a basement. It was hot. It was sweaty. It was an Ann Arbor summer, very humid. There were, my mom had somehow, one of the ways she got me 
to that prayer meeting was saying that they were the prayer meeting and there were a lot of young guys playing guitars. And even though like I I was looking for truth, but I have to admit the fact that there were young guys there playing guitars was such kind of a draw for yeah, me. The too. Beauty attracted yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. But anyways, because of that opportunity to meet with that young group of young people who were praying in the basement of St. Mary's Chapel, um, I knew there was something there that I wanted, and I signed up for a Life and Spirit seminar, which is like a five-week seminar that basically preaches the charisma and talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. I had, as a child, peeked in on the basement windows of a church that had people rolling on the floor. I was very, I was very, um, I didn't want to roll on the floor in front, front of other people. So I was a little bit suspicious. And I also, like my prayer of, of surrender was, well, if there, if Jesus is the savior of the world, I want to know him. And if there is such a thing as sin, I want to be forgiven for it. And I want to receive of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I would like to receive the gift of love. So that was, I don't know if, I think the people leading that, my, my small group didn't know if it was going to work or not, but they prayed with me and I experienced in that room something I had never experienced in my life before. Like just, it was like it filled with liquid honey. And it was the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I, I didn't roll on the floor. I didn't at that moment pray in tongues. But I knew that um, the presence of God was there. And I, and I remember thinking, why do they not pray all the time? Why do they ever go out for pizza or things like that? Because they could just be praying all the time because they know how to invoke the sweet, sweet presence of God. And I went home. I was living in a student apartment up on the third floor. And uh, I went out on my balcony and asked God to just come and Wanted to give me the gift of tongues to just give me the gift of tongues. And at this time, you're still like very. I don't even believe. I oh, I didn't even. I mean, at that time, I I didn't even still believe that Jesus was the Savior. You know, I still and I really thing is too. I did not want to like some of these young people would sit on the diagonal at Ann Arbor, Michigan, in the center of the campus with their guitars and their Uh Bibles. They would be there, and I'm like, I do not want to like sit with these people like this Christian group that have Bibles and guitars because I, I, what if I know somebody, somebody I know is go, goes by or something, you know, like I, I really did not want to identify as a Christian at that point, but I said that prayer that night and then I had that experience. So then when I went out on my balcony, I'm like, well, God, if there's more for me, you want me to experience if the tongues or whatever, I just give myself to you. And I began to just sing and I didn't know you could sing in tongues at the time sing in this beautiful language and it was just it, it was beautiful i was just on my balcony singing out to the night i didn't want to stop because i was afraid i could never start again um and i just sang for a while in this language that wasn't my language and then when i stopped and this is the most important story is when i stopped just through my whole being what just cursed through my whole being was jesus christ is the King of Kings, and I want to tell the whole world about him. So that for me was that was my moment of just um, really surrendering in faith and knowing the truth of who God was. 
and all of my doubts and confusion and all that just failed in the light of just that truth. So for me, that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that being filled with the Holy Spirit, it was this beautiful prayer gift that I was given with, with, to be able to pray and sing in tongues. But much, much more important was that conviction. And I did. I, the next day I talked to my dad on the phone, told him all about my experience. And he said, uh, I'll get your mother. <laughs> she got, he passed the phone to my mom. Um, and I was happy to sit in the diag for many years after that and to share about Jesus. So I'm curious. At, at that time, you said you had dropped out of college. What, were you going to Michigan? or I went to, uni- I went to University of Michigan. I went for a semester. And then I ended up um, going out west for about six months and then coming back. And this was after I'd come back to Michigan. And I was thinking I was getting ready to go up to Rochester, New York, to join the um, the Buddhists. But thanks be to my mother and her constantly saying Jesus has to be a part of it and her invitation. You know, I totally my life was totally turned around and I eventually went back to college. But mm. at the time I was. Basically, it was in the it was it was in the early seventies. So, so yeah, I'm curious because I think the audience knows that I went to Michigan, graduated in 2018. What can you tell us about Ann Arbor back in the days? Is, is it still the same? Is it a lot worse? Or what can you share about that? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, back in those days, it was the early beginnings of the drug culture, and you know there was. You know, the Mark's Coffee House, and it was a coffee house that was right down on campus, and everybody would hang out there and drink coffee and talk, and a lot of people with long hair. Um, when, you I mean, say, the, when you say Mark's. Oh, is this the name of the coffee house? It's not anybody, Karl Marx. <laughs> no, 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 okay. no. It was, it was, <laughs> I was M-A-R-K, saying a socialist. M-A-R-K. Yeah, but there was shop. a lot of that kind of floating yeah. around, too. But, you know, like <laughs> I remember we had one. There was also Christian coffee houses because in my search, I went to every Christian coffee house in Ann Arbor. The Ark was still in a church. The Ark now is an institution in Ann Arbor. But it was in the days when I went, it was meeting in a church. And we had like Joan Baez, who was a very famous folk singer. She she came and sang in, in the, the, the coffee house um, that now is the Ark. Um, so... That, there were a lot of coffee houses and um, people with guitars. And, and, of course, nowadays, sin abounds even more on the campus of U of M. It's much more, you know, people, it's probably legal to have drugs now on, on campus. In those days, drugs were not legal. You could still get in trouble. But there were a lot. there was a lot of people getting, like some of my peers at the time, um, really messed up their brains with LSD and stuff like that. And I saw that and knew I do not want to do that. You know, like, but, um, yeah, other than that, it's kind of the same. It's not that different now, probably than before. It's just that, um, probably now, probably worse now morally. And maybe um, it's the same, but it's just like you said, is more things are permissible. More, more, yes. Right out there. And but I think also University of Michigan has always been a place where there were a lot of you know, a lot of the classes are taught by people who do not have faith, and um, it, a lot of students come and kind of get confused about their faith. So the, the 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 priest at St. Mary's Student Chapel had invited the folks that ran our prayer meeting to come 
because he said it, the situation was so desperate. Like there were not, um, students just weren't coming to church. They weren't coming to the student chapel. Now I would say now that's changed. Like now there are the St. Mary's where I had that encounter with Jesus and also where I became a Catholic. Um, now there's a lot of students that go, they have a lot of life there. Like there's probably maybe a little bit more healthy student life in terms of Catholicism than there was back in the early seventies. So some things have gotten better in that sense. Yeah. By any chance did you uh, have any Catholic friends back in the day? Well, this whole, um, growing up, I had one Catholic friend. Um, maybe two, two Catholic friends, a Catholic friend and a Catholic boyfriend um, in high school. But then when, as soon as I started going to the prayer meetings, most of those young people were Catholic. It was in the Catholic student chapel at Newman Center. And um, right away also, it was kind of like free and breezy back then. So they just said, oh, come to Mass. So I, was, I started going to daily Mass. I wasn't even Catholic yet, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> which was would not to be recommended for anybody to do. But I made a lot of Catholic friends after starting to go to the prayer group. But before that, I, I was not, I had, in fact, um, my understanding of Catholicism was that uh, people worship Mary and they thought the priest for, forgave sins, not Jesus. And So I would have had a lot of sort of suspicion of Catholicism um, in that sense. But then I had traveled through Europe after high school and been in all of these amazingly beautiful Catholic churches and cathedrals. And so I had that kind of also that draw that those beautiful Catholic churches have in the presence of God with those churches. So I had been touched by the Catholic church through that. And, um, So it's like due to your upbringing, in a way, you had some 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 uh, some walls that were placed, misconceptions about the the Catholic Church, but there was always, I guess, an element of well, I, I guess, or well, that mystery and the beauty of the Catholic Church had already kind of grabbed my heart even before going to the prayer meetings. But then, for me, becoming a Catholic, so I say I honored Jesus. I was 20, between the ages of 20 and 22, I made some of the most important decisions of my life. You know, one was just to follow Jesus. And when I was 22, I be became a Catholic. And that was after having gone through an amazing apologetics class that Jerry Rouch taught way back then, uh, that answered a lot of my intellectual questions about the faith, things like Catholics don't worship Mary, honor her in a special way, the priest... It, It, it doesn't forgive sins. It's Jesus in the priest. It's Jesus forgives sins. Like just getting some of those misconceptions that had more to do with theology. Um, but I still, um, I didn't understand infallibility. And it got explained to me, but then also being exposed. Back in those days, we had these amazing conferences. Like there was a conference at Notre Dame with the whole football fields full of participants and the the priests and bishops came dancing out into the football field for for the mass like we had mass there and seeing these men of god really were bishops and and um priests express so freely their love for god 
sincerely think it took away a lot of that suspicion that I had of the hierarchy of the church and um, just growing in understanding that infallibility doesn't mean the Pope never makes a mistake, but you know, the, some areas of do- doctrine and faith fallible. There's a lot of intellectual stuff that as you learn it and study, or like this course I had with, with, with Jerry Rauch on, um, just really helped me to answer those questions. And then I just, can I, I can share one mystical experience. Can I sure. about Mary? So Mary was still like, I, I, I still like, sometimes they would sing the song at the prayer meeting to the saints and angels praise um, to the Virgin praise. And I just was like to her praise. It, it just didn't. So I was in the back of St. Mary's chapel. They had a little kneeler and they had a statue of Mary and, I went back there and I was just praying like for God to take away that reaction in me and also for me to just understand more who was Mary. And I just remember it like it was yesterday. I was just kneeling there praying and I just experienced Mary coming close to me with all of her sweetness, anonymity, her just her beauty, purity. She just, I didn't like, it wasn't like she was there in the flesh, but she was just so there, and who she is was so there. And it was like all of my other theological questions about Mary, about being kept, everything, it just melted away <laughs> because of just, just that presence. That So that encounter with her in that personal way was probably the last piece for me to make the decision to become a Catholic. Along with my first experience of vigil mass, was just so incredibly beautiful with the music and different stages of, of, of the midnight vigil for, um, <clears throat> uh, for Easter, the Easter vigil mass. So that, that, that becoming a Catholic for me was a, another really important thing that happened in that time. And I also made a decision to live single for the Lord, to give up marriage and family life, to be able to, focus more on, on living for Jesus. And eventually I was consecrated by Bishop and Lansing as a consecrated virgin living in the world. So most of my, and that, that decision to live single for the Lord also was between 20 and 22. So follow Christ, become a Catholic, live single for the Lord. And I joined a Christian community of other young people who were trying to support one another in their faith. So those are those are life decisions, and I was young, but they were the right decisions, and I've never regretted any of them with all the heartaches that come of walking. So can I say, or is, is it, is it, how do I say this? Was it like you fell in love, and once you fell in love, you're like, I, I'm ready to commit? And ever since then, you're like, all right, it's what I did. Similar to how when 18, 19, 20-year-olds meet their future spouse, they fall in love, and they're like, yeah, let's get married. and. Is that kind of how it went for you, or was it a bit different? Well, kind of with with Jesus in general, that's how it went. Like I just, you well, know, for you, I was since taken you were seven, right? Well, yes, way. but I went through that kind of wandering and getting a little lost yeah. off the track. But after that moment when I was on the balcony, praying and singing in tongues, and and it was just, I want to Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Lords, the King of Kings. I want to tell the whole world about Him. That was a falling in love with Jesus. That always, I mean, that's it. Yeah. I just never, ever look back from that. Consecrating my life to Jesus and not giving, getting married 
That was a little bit trickier because I just, all I wanted to do was get married. And after I became a Christian, even more so, I wanted to have a Christian family. I wanted to adopt kids. I want, I, I just, my whole idea of how I could serve God was in the context of family life. So I had to be wooed a little bit more by Jesus for that. And he did woo me. I mean, in the sense of just say, I, I heard a talk on state of life and how all states of life lead to holiness, marriage, uh, consecrated, ordained life, single life. Like there's sainthood is open to all of us, no matter our state of life. Um, and I, that we should pray to appreciate all of those different states. So I ob obediently went home and said, Jesus helped me to appreciate all the states of life and give me a husband really quick. I was 21 at the time. And, um, and then I just felt like he just gently said, I'd like you actually to take a couple of years to think about the alternative of committing your life to me and living single for me. And at first I was like, I don't want to hear this. And I can remember this also like it was yesterday. I was in, my, I was in a household at that time for the summer that we had signed a covenant to live in poverty, chastity, and obedience for the summer. I didn't really know what those things meant, but I thought I could do anything for the summer. So that was where in, in that household – in, the, in my bedroom, God spoke to me about just taking some time to think about it. And I remember I got up, I went into the bathroom. I didn't, I said, talk to me about this later, another year. But I very experienced him gently saying, no strings attached. I just want you to think about it, pray about it. And then, so I did. And in that process, uh, I I did fall in love with him even more. I already was in love with him to give my whole life to him, you know, but, but to give up something that I saw as so precious as family and um, a husband and children, that was a big thing to give up. But by the time I made the decision that that was what I wanted to do, it was like, that was what I really wanted to do. Like I knew that I could choose married life, but, Choosing to live single for the Lord is going to allow me just to love him in a more direct way and to, and, and to love his people. Because I felt like part of why he was inviting me to that consecrated life was to be poured out directly to his people. And is there a reason why you weren't necessarily drawn to like a, a religious order or like a, a group of sisters or... Well, at the time, no, so I didn't grow up Catholic, so I didn't really know anything about, besides Zen Buddhist nuns. Like, I did think about joining the Zen Buddhist um, <laughs> nunnery, but I didn't know that much about religious orders. And I was part of this Christian community, and that's where I heard the teaching on living single for the Lord. And I, I had the option of of doing it in the context of Christian community that had families as well, and um, I ended up um, living with other women who were living single for the Lord and forming a sisterhood for a while. Yeah. And so I just never really thought about religious order at that time. Um, later on in my life, I, I looked a little bit more seriously into contemplative life and it didn't, didn't feel like that was really what God had and then landed on this call to um, live in the world, but not of the world and to live a life of prayer and service, but well, not think, in a religious order. I think later in this episode, we're going to have a chance to try to connect that with the house where you are right now and maybe yeah. how that fits into this. But, uh, and also with her 
Saint Genevieve. Yep. And so, I guess j- jumping forward, I don't know how many years, but uh, eventually, <laughs> eventually, you 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 got a chance to go to Rome, right? You got mm-hmm. a chance to experience a lot of things. But uh, in terms of where we are right now, you, we are in Southwest Detroit. What was that uh, journey like? How did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> I did a I did a lot of missionary work. I went back to school in my late. 20s, because um, I had dropped out, remember, well, I ended up going back in my late 20s and getting a degree in um, Spanish. I was going to do it in social work, and I didn't really like the program, and so then I, I switched to uh, anthropology, and, I, and then I wanted to get out quick, and I had so many Spanish classes that I switched to my major in Spanish and my minor in anthropology. So my undergraduate degree is Spanish and anthropology. And I ended up then beginning to do work with Christian communities in Mexico and Central America and Spain. So I had about maybe 10 years. I never really lived in any of those countries, but I would go maybe for three weeks to Mexico and come back for a couple of weeks and then go to Costa Rica for a month. And, and so I had the chance to live with people who were sharing my, you know, who were living committed lives as Christians and trying to build community life. And they were Catholic communities, most of them. And so working with um, growing in their Catholic faith. And as I did that, my Spanish got better and better. Uh, I came back and and I got my master's degree in Spanish and then uh, ended up teaching at St. Alphonsus high school for about four years in Dearborn and taking classes at the seminary, and at the seminary, this is this will get us to Southwest Detroit. There was a woman who was pastoral assistant, Julia, who was pastoral assistant at St. Gabriel Parish, who was looking for a director of religious education. And my teaching job was ending. I was looking for a job, and one day she just turned to me and said, "You're looking for a job. I need somebody to work for me." And so I ended up. That's when I, even though I had been doing a lot of work in Detroit, it was with YouthWorks Detroit, um, closer to to Wayne State. And so all of Southwest Detroit and all of the beautiful world of Spanish speakers in Southwest Detroit opened up to me because of getting the job at St. Gabriel Parish as a director of religious ed. And um, so I had already done a lot of work with Spanish speakers, and I had all of that cultural experience that I had of traveling to different countries that really helped to um, inform my my ministry here in Southwest Detroit. So I worked for about a year at St. Gabriel's and then I got this house and I've lived here. And what is it that you do now? So I have, um, I work part-time for the family of parishes in Southwest Detroit. So that's a, a cluster of parishes um, Holy Trinity, St. Anne, St. Francis Assisi, St. Hedwig, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and Holy Cross Hungarian. So most of those parishes have Spanish speakers as, as the main population. Well, or second generation, you know, first gen kids who speak some Spanish, but maybe are really English speaking, but have the cultural life that they share with their parents who've moved here from other countries. 
So that's, and, and my job there is director of evangelization and discipleship. And then, uh, I guess, can you talk to us a little bit about the house where we're at right now? So this house, I got this house. I was working at St. Gabe's. I had um, started teaching as adjunct faculty at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. I finished my master's degree there. Because I went there after I finished up my degree at Eastern Michigan. I went, took classes at the seminary and eventually got my master's degree. Started teaching at uh, seminary and working at St. Gabriel Parish and uh, doing, working still with Youth Works Detroit to some degree. Detroit. So I had been commuting from Ann Arbor, where I was living with my parents. And... Um, well, at that time with my mom, because my dad had passed. And then I just felt like most of my life was here in Detroit. So I actually, my comadre was living across the street. And I was with her driving one day with, with the kids. And we passed this house. And I said, I was, she knew I was looking for some place to, to live in Detroit. And uh, she pointed this house out and said, that's a great house. And, um, I got the specs on it, and I had a friend who was working at Holy Redeemer down the road who was also in real estate, and he took me through the house. And with it, I, I talked to my different spiritual advisors and uh, talked to the loan person who could give me a loan and, and got a loan, and within like three weeks, I had this house. Um, so it seems like God just opened the doors for me, and I wanted to, to live here because I was working and um, also teaching and I was going to study here for my licentiate degree at Sacred Heart Seminary. So a lot of my life was here, but also because of wanting to be able to live in the place where I was working and ministering. And I wanted to have a place where different groups who are missionary groups could come and stay. So from the very beginning of this house, it was for mission. It was for opening it up for different high schoolers and college students that come for a few weeks to Detroit to do mission work, um, opening it up for uh, missionaries who come for a year of service or two years of service, work with Detroit or students who've come to study theology at Sacred Heart. Um, so I've always had like a lot of a stream of young women who have lived here and also different mission trips that have come they periods of time so a lot of uh well i say like a lot like i know these people but one person i did know was jessica uh and so sometimes you have people who are discerning uh perhaps religious life or just a different state in their life was that always your intention to have this kind of spot for them or is it just something that kind of got put together i think the dis discerning religious life was not really so much my intention although how how I have felt about this house, what God said to me about this house, it was a place for people to come, to pray, and to dream, and to find their place in his kingdom. So whether it's people living here or people coming for the different activities and events that, I, that I've been able to host, that it was just a place for people to define their state of life. So in that sense, yes, discernment. But maybe, like I've had one of the women who lived here is now a, a Carmelite nun. Um, uh, another one has, has joined the Franciscan order in Steubenville. 
uh, although she was, she'd already discerned, she was just waiting out her time until she could get down there. But, but um, another woman came here and ended up getting married out of this house. We had bridal dresses and bridal sh showers and things like that happening for her. Um, and other others have gone on to um, different professional jobs in different places. So I think it's, it's, it's a place for discerning, but not just discerning to live single for the Lord or to live a consecrated life, but to discern where is God's place for me in the world. And uh, I'm curious, does it have a, a, a name? Does the house have a name to it? Or is it just La Casa de Su? Well, I'm, I'm hoping to have a chapel here. I have permission to have a chapel that will be named St. Genevieve. Oh. But when I first moved in, the, the, the name that came to my mind that I haven't really liked was Casa Samaritana because another very, very important biblical person for me is Samaritan woman and um, coming to know Jesus at that. Well, but then Casa Samaritana became like like. Wait, tell, tell us about that. Uh, that Samaritana, what, yeah, yeah. For those who so I haven't know. like like put a sign out because there's other places called that. So mm -hmm. I wasn't. But the, for for me, when I thought about this house and prayed about the house when I first moved in, the woman at the well. Um, because again, because it's that encounter with Jesus, and tell, that's tell us about the that's well. that's so. So she's coming to the well in the middle of the day because of her. She's she's living a sinful lifestyle and she's embarrassed to be out there probably with all the other women. So she comes at a time when nobody's there. Jesus happens to be um, sitting by the well. He sent his disciples into town to get food. She has a conversation with Jesus and he asks her to give her a drink. She says, well, how is it that you, a man and a Jew, would talk to me, a Samaritan woman? Because Jews did not talk. The women in public, they did not talk to Samaritans, period. And Jesus says, if you had known who was asking, you would have asked me, and I would have given you water uh, welling up into eternal life. He talks about the springs of water welling up, which is Holy Spirit within us welling up eternal life. And he lovingly points out to her, like she says, well, I don't, he goes, get your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, you're right, you lived with five men and the one you're with now isn't your husband. And he sees her sin and even points it out, but in such a loving way that she runs back to town and says, come and see. They, they talk about him being the Savior. He reveals himself to her as, as, as the Messiah. She runs back to town and says, come and see someone who knows everything I've ever known. And I love that passage because... He saw right into her soul, but it didn't make her embarrassed or ashamed. It made her so excited to be known by him. Hmm. And that also he, he broke all those social um, taboos to reach out with her and talk to her. And that he really, it's one of the few places where he actually says he's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. So that's a very special passage for me. So I, I felt like this house could be a place where people could come and encounter Jesus and um, drink from that well and be refreshed the way that she refreshed him, but also the way that he brought her to know him in a deeper way. 
Then another theme for me that's real important is Bethany. I'm part of Bethany Association, which is an association for consecrated women, for women who are living single for the Lord. Bethany is another place of encounter. I I should have brought my other picture. I have a picture of Mary washing the feet of Jesus. And um, so the house as Bethany is a place where people can encounter Jesus like they encountered him at Bethany and also making a place for Jesus like Mary and Martha. So uh, Casa Samaritana, or uh, to be mm-hmm. determined, or yeah. who knows? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. It's, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks, Sue. Are any uh, closing thoughts in, in regards to your testimony? Uh, any any last words for this yeah, section? Yeah, just like it's just a lot of years that I've been doing this. And um, like I say, I've never met, regretted any of those decisions that I made. It's, there's hard times, there's rough times, but I, like I would never have known maybe how difficult sometimes might be, but there's no way that I could have known how good it was. And it, it just is so good to follow Jesus. And I'm praying for like you know, 10, 20 more years to be able to keep on loving him and loving his people and feel like there's just so much need um, around us and we have the answer, those of us who know Jesus and know his love. So, and a long, good life, read any of it. Thank you, so We're now going to take a moment to listen to our sponsor. This episode of Café con Santos is brought to you by the Basilica of St. Anne's de Detroit. St. Anne's is a French origin church that was established in 1701 with their current building built in 1886. There are a few things that were brought from the previous church, which was the Stone Church. These are the body of Father Gabriel Richard, our founder, currently rests in our chapel. A hand-carved altar rail that was carved in 1853 and is currently in our church. The 1818 cornerstone from the Stone Church. The statue of St. Anne that's on the shrine which also contains a first-class relic of hers, and the chapel's altar from 1818 that Father Gabriel Richard used to celebrate Mass in. This church took about one year to build, and all pews were hand-carved. This is a French neo-Gothic structure, so everything points up. There are many known miracles, mostly around St. Anne's feast day, which is July 26. A lot of people come and pray for fertility and to find a good spouse. In the 1960s, St. Anne's Church was in the verge of closing, but thanks to the surplus of Hispanic community, it was able to stay afloat, and it has been a multicultural church since. Through the years, many parish ministries have served in the Southwest community, including Cornadas, Knights of Columbus, Guadalupanas, to mention a few. Good St. Anne, you were specially favored by God to be the mother of the Most Holy Virgin Mary, and thus grandmother of our Savior Jesus Christ. By your intimacy with your most pure daughter and her divine son, kindly obtain for us the graces that we seek, the cure for us the strength to perform faithfully our daily duties, and the help we need to persevere in the love of Jesus and Mary. Madre de Maria y Abuela de Jesús, ruega por nosotros. And we are back. 
Sue just got a, a well, Sue just shared part of her story. She shared many uh, things that have happened in her life, many encounters. Uh, we kind of rushed a little in the end, but I think it's because Sue just has many experiences in her life. And uh, I'm sure in this second part of the episode, we'll get to unpack some of them. Uh, but now we're going to jump into the, the second part of the show, which is where we discuss the life of a Catholic saint. And for this episode, we are going to be talking about Saint Genevieve. So I'm going to share her a short uh, biography, and then we're going to talk about how her life affects us today. Saint Genevieve was a fair and courageous peasant girl who was born around 422 in France to a man named Severus and a woman named Gerontia. When Genevieve was only seven years old, St. Germanus, Bishop of Auxerre, visited Nanterre on his way to Britain. While he was there, many people flocked to receive his blessing. The young Genevieve stood in a crowd which had gathered around the man of God who singled her out and foretold her future sanctity. At her request, the holy bishop led her to a church, accompanied by all the faithful, and consecrated her to God as a virgin. The next day, Germanus asked Genevieve if she had remembered the promise she made to God. She did and proclaimed she would always fulfill it faithfully. He presented her with a cross engraved brass medal to always wear around her neck as a reminder of the consecration she made of herself to God. He ordered her to never wear any other bracelets, necklaces, or jewelry to avoid falling into vanity. Encouraged by Germanus, Genevieve dedicated her life to prayer, practices of devotion, and acts of penance. When she was only 15 years old, she met with the Bishop of Paris and asked to become a nun. From this moment, she also began praying continuously and fasting eating only twice a week as a sign of her complete dedication to the Lord. Following the death of her parents, Genevieve went on to live with her grandmother in Paris and traveled, sharing the faith, performing acts of charity, praying for the sick, and prophesying. Her dedicated Christian way of life was filled with the signs of the Holy Spirit working through her. The signs of the working of the Holy Spirit accompanying this holy young woman included miracles and spiritually inspired predictions. She frequently had visions of heavenly angels and saints. However, when she shared those visions and experiences of the Lord, people began to turn against her. They called her a hypocrite and accused her of being a false visionary. In fact, they were determined to drown her in a lake of fire. However, the bishop, Germanus, intervened and silenced those who were accusing her of false statements and persecuting her. Genevieve was appointed by the bishop to look after the welfare of the consecrated virgins. She did so faithfully and helped to lead them into a greater degree of holiness as they grew closer to the Lord Jesus. Genevieve had a great influence over Gilderic, the king of Gaul, 
who overtook Paris during a time when Paris suffered with great famine, Genevieve traveled by boat to Troyes and brought back several boats full of corn. Although he was a pagan, Hilderic respected her and spared the lives of several prisoners on her behalf. She also had an effect on King Clovis. He listened to her advice and under her request, he granted freedom to several of his prisoners. When Attila and his army of Huns came upon Paris, the Parisian Christians were prepared to run, but Genevieve spoke to them and convinced them to stay within their homes, fast and pray to the Lord. She assured them that they would have the protection of heaven. Her prediction came true as Attila suddenly changed his path and turned away from Paris. Genevieve died at 89 years old on January 3rd, 512. Shortly after she was buried, the people built a small church over her tomb, asking for the intercession of Saints Peter and Paul. Although her tomb remains there and can still be seen today, it is empty. Her relics were encased by Saint Eligius in a handmade gold and silver shrine around 630. Over the years, the Normans destroyed the church several times. Once it was rebuilt around 856, St. Genevieve's relics were returned and miracles began happening, making this church famous all throughout France. Paris experienced proof of Genevieve's intercession on many occasions. The most famous occurrence was the miracle of Des Ardens or the burning fever. In 1129, a violent fever swept through the city and doctors couldn't stop the people from dying. The shrine of Genevieve was carried in a procession to the cathedral, and during the ceremony, those who touched her shrine were healed by the power of the Lord. Throughout the whole town, no one else became sick, all the ill recovered, and only three people died. Pope Innocent visited the city the following year and asked that an annual festival be held in commemoration of the miracle every year on November 26th. His goal, as is always the case with such practices, was to keep their faith alive by reminding the faithful that the Lord always works in the lives of those who pray and draw close to Him. Saint Genevieve is the patron saint of Paris. She is depicted dressed in a long flowing gown with a mantle covering her shoulders and is often shown with a loaf of bread, representing her generosity for those in need. Her feast day is celebrated on January 3rd. Saint Genevieve, pray for us. All right, so any initial thoughts on Saint Genevieve? Yeah, um, I I love Saint Genevieve. Well, she had an important thing happen to her when she was seven. That's highly unusual for a child to be consecrated to virginity at the age of seven. But um, I think what really drew me to her was she just had this amazing. She, she's a consecrated virgin living in the world. She she was independently wealthy. Actually, she had a lot of money from her parents, and she as it says she went to move. And with her grandmother, who I think might have been her godmother as well. And in Paris, she she just 
fed people. She 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 just used her money to to do a lot of good for the poor and sick. And she, like they said, she had this kind of prophetic um, ability to to rally the people when they were afraid and ready to leave Paris and got them to pray and fast and stay in the city. And then Hannibal, the Hun, is going to come and enter Paris, and he gates around Paris, like those kind of like big historic sort of brushstrokes that impacted the life of her city because of her prayer and her prayer, but her ability to rally people. Uh, in other uh, versions that I've read, she actually evangelized King Clovis and Queen Clotide, who were pagan king and queen, evangelized them and brought them into the faith. She had this very active life. But if you go to Paris, there's a um, in the Pantheon, there there are these huge murals of her life, amazing, just just huge. They fill whole entire walls of her life, and after all of these things, it gets to this. That's what this photo is here. Um, it says, and and then for the later her later years, she prayed, fasted, and kept vigil over her city. This image is of Genevieve upstairs on her roof with her virgin's lamp. That's sign of the virgin keeping oil in her lamp. Prayer. She's overlooking the city of Paris, praying and fasting for the Paris. And that just when I was there looking at those murals and I read that, I thought, my gosh! After all this active life she had, like maybe twenty years of of just praying and fasting and keeping vigil. And at the time, I remember saying, when I was there, saying to God, what is my city? And because I living in Arbor and Detroit, but I ended up landing here in Detroit. And one of the reasons I bought this house was there's a balcony up there. And you can look out over, you can see the Ambassador Bridge, you can see the lights of the city. And I felt like from here I can pray and fast and, and, and um, vigil over my city. And I think both is so important, like that active life that, that reaching out, but also but uh, reaching out, but also it's so important the intercession and praying and keeping vigil. So I love her for both her her brave prophetic kind of witness and for her uh, prayer and vigil city. Yeah, I didn't know that you could see the bridge from up there. Yeah, you can. Uh, wow. When there's not a lot of trees, you can see all the lights. Yeah, you have to see it. <laughs> um, so speaking on uh, on the penance that she would do, I think I read that she, she sometimes would only eat like twice a week. Oh yeah, yeah I so, hadn't read. Yeah, yeah that. So <laughs> she definitely uh, was a uh, what was the word mortification of the flesh or something like that. Yeah. Uh, have you ever experienced or have you ever uh, offered? sacrifice or in other words have you ever done a big penance and not just like oh today i'm not gonna eat a cookie or something but something like bigger uh and did you experience a, a fruit out of it i have for a while <laughs> but um yeah i did earlier in my life i did some actually some pretty long fasts there's a great book called um Prayer and fasting, I think something like that. No, I can't remember. Was changing the world through prayer and fasting? Uh, but I did a couple of longer fasts. Um, one was just uh, 
offering up the, the, the fast for healing of God's people and to be able to be an instrument of healing. Uh, I have one time gave up drinking alcohol for a year just as a way of uh, offering that up to God. Uh, and I've, you know, I've done other small times of prayer and fasting. I, I did a 30 day Ignatian retreat in Spain. Like the silence one? Yeah. Silent one, which was actually a, at a time when there were changes going on in my life. So it was a way of going away and just taking time to be before God to say, well, what do you want for me in this next phase of my life? And, um, that was, and that was when I had given up wine and it was in Spain and every meal that was all these delicious, Span the nuns make delicious meals and, and serve wine at every meal. So that was actually a sacrifice to not drink that good wine. And, but, um, and the fruits, and I have seen fruits, like sometimes those sacrifices have been for my own personal getting back some sharpness or some spiritual direction or clarity and, and definitely seeing fruit from that. Sometimes it's been in prayer for other uh, people and purposes, and I've seen fruit in, in, in the sense of answered prayer. Yeah. Um, I think I didn't start fasting until much later in my journey in the faith. But uh, it's one of those things. Once you, once you do it out of love, you, you, I think, is worth it, even though it's difficult. Uh, so for anybody who's listening, um, definitely recommend to try to fast. Uh, uh, and coming back to, I guess, Southwest and some of the work that that you do in with the community, with the families of parishes, uh, we, we've we gotten a chance to work and retreats and stuff like that um where, where do you see those those young folks like and talk about them <laughs> i um so we have here in southwest detroit we have a lot of first generation a lot of our kids you know the, the parents move here from mexico or guatemala or puerto rico or different places um and then the the, the Children who come through our religious education programs in our churches, or the or the young people, are are mostly first generations. A few of them maybe were born in Mexico and came here as children. But I've always said, from the time when I was working, I had about five hundred kids. First of all, we just got a lot of kids here, you know, because the pe the people who come have big families and they had kids for confirmation. I had five hundred kids in my in my my religious education program at Saint Gabriel when I was working there. And that's where the first communion first preparation for first communion and confirmation. So that would be a couple of years of, it wasn't, it wasn't all of them were receiving sacraments in that year, but we would have a couple hundred kids receive sacraments every, yeah. you know, either first communion or confirmation. Um, and, but I've always said, so some of these families are, they're, they're getting established here they're working in factories or doing construction. They, they don't have a lot of money particularly. Um, but I, I have always said what has, it's not the need that breaks my heart. It's all the potential. Like I see so much potential in, um, and I, so much ability and capacity good in, in, in the children and the young people. So my prayer for the young people is, 
that they they find their place in the world and in the church and and that we can somehow engage the young people and keep them engaged in church so that they can share what they have with others who need it so much. So I, I was just at a graduation um, party the other day and all of the young people were all clumped up together in, the, in this one spot. And as I left, I was like, adios, jóvenes. Bye, young people. Futuro del mundo, future of the world. Portense bien. Um, behaviors, behave, behave yourselves. But saying future of the world, it's really true. So I, I still am like, after 16, 17 years of being and working here in Southwest Detroit, it's that desire to see that potential and to help every young person find their place. Just like I say in the house here, you know, find their place um, with God and in the church and in the world. What can you tell us about uh, those communities? Because I want to say 15, 16 years ago, um, I, I think there was a lot more gang involvement back in the day. Uh, uh, but I, I don't know. Do you, do you think that uh, the same problems that we have today they had back then or, or what was the, what, what have you seen the progression over the years in the, in the city? Yeah, I think this neighborhood, probably there was a period of time when it was less safe than it is now. I mean, some people would consider that this neighborhood is not safe now, but I've, you know, you just learn how to live in the city and do what you're supposed to do and not do what you're yeah. not supposed to do. But I remember when I taught at St. Alphonsus, one of the boys was just walking down Werner and was shot and lost a whole year of school recovering from injuries to his legs. I asked my students and those students were from Southwest Detroit from there. It was a very multicultural school. So we had, we had African-American kids and Muslim kids and, and Hispanic kids there, but they were all from Detroit area. And um, I, did some um, project for them, asking them to write about something related to their family or an experience. And I got a number of stories written by young people who had like seen somebody shot in front of their house or that their dad had accidentally shot his friend or, you know, like there's guns very present in their lives. And one time I assigned them to interview three adults about their relationship with God. And the, Many of them came back to me and said, "Miss Cummins, I don't know three adults. I'm like, well, because I'm living with my grandma or I'm just living with my mom. Uh, do you know your neighbor? No, we don't know our neighbor. Do you know your priest? No, I don't know my priest. Your youth group? I don't have a youth group. Like They didn't have three adults in their life that they could, and they, they weren't making excuses. They were telling me the truth, that they could actually know well enough to ask them for an interview. So. I think whether it's better now, there's less, maybe a little bit less. I hear less shooting now than I did when I first moved in in the, in the alley. But there's still periodically somebody will lose a, a young person to violent death yeah. because of getting shot by somebody or to drugs. And I think now what we're seeing after COVID and, and, and the lockdown, and this is what I've heard from my young friends, is just a lot of the young people are just not motivated. Like they've just sort of lost um, focus in terms of, or hope, I think, in terms of future. 
So there's some work to do to kind of rally the forces again and help get past that sort of trauma that we've all been through uh, with the lockdowns and the isolation. In terms of what we do today, we, we do, I guess, have the privilege of having various youth groups. And we got Cristeros, we got Las Flores, we got Our Lady Guadalupe, San Hedwig, uh, just about, you know, we, a variety of, and even not just with the youth, you know, there's the MAUs, there's Barrios. So um, what can you tell us about ministry in general when it comes to uh, you know, being soldiers of Christ and trying to proclaim the good news? So I think in Southwest Detroit, we have amazing movimientos, movements and groups that do amazing evangelization. They have retiros, they have retreats, and people come, they hear the gospel, and, and they, they, they encounter Christ, they make decisions to follow Christ. So I feel like that's something that's strong here. Um, jornadas, uh, these retreats maybe happen a couple times a year or one time a year or so, and they're usually just filled up um, because there's so much need and interest. What I see is needed is some of those groups have follow-up, which is discipleship. But like I still see among many, even of the leaders, like a need for just opportunities to grow and continue in that transforming walk with Christ into, into greater maturity. Like one of my favorite passages that when I first started working with the family parishes is the um, passage about about being uh, um, brought up into the full maturity of Christ, that maturity is a good thing and we want to be mature in Christ. And so that help of maturing, I see an area that um, we need. And then the other thing that I've seen with many of the movements that are wonderful is they are not always keeping their young people. And I think that's a challenge for, for, for the movements that have been around a while is uh, I, I challenge them couple years ago, I think we should get it down on our faces before God and ask him to help us to know how in our ministry we can engage and keep the younger generation engaged. So that's, that's, you know, what we're doing with our youth groups is one of the important things we're doing. Some of the retreats we've had, we're going to have some more retreats this coming year and continuing to just invite. And I think building community among the, um, the, the young adults that we have, but then getting them to know each other well enough and confident enough that then they can start reaching out and bringing in the ones who have come up through our catechism programs, received sacraments, but no longer uh, do we see them at church. But they're out there. I know they are. <laughs> you have any, uh, what are they called, glory stories where maybe in your early years in Southwest, there was like, I don't know, a, a joven who had an encounter and Today is, you know, you know, doing beautiful, amazing things. Any that that come to your head, or even just marriages, or I don't know. Because I mean, we don't we don't want to sound like it's all bad. I think, you know, I think. Oh no, it's not. Yeah. Not no. We got some amazing. Well, I would just give a recent glory story. So this past year, we had the young adults retreat, and um, I brought a group in um, from Ann Arbor, and they gave the retreat. And then a while after that, we had a high school retreat for the high schoolers here. And I, there were 20 young adults who gave that retreat. So many of whom had gone on the retreat for young adults. And so I think 
we have got some, you are one of them, you know, like we, we have some pretty, but let's take it way back. Like, you want to go back farther. Yeah. I'm giving him, I'm giving a glory story from, from right now. <laughs> oh, you want a glory story from long ago? Um, I got so many glory stories. Let's just put it this way. You came here, got this house at the time. One of your comadres had kids, right? Well, yeah, I was thinking the ones that my most close, <laughs> my most close story would be the kids that were across the street, yeah. you know, who are now, um, uh, they are grown up and doing amazing things. I mean, I just, I walked with, uh, well, the reason I bring this up is because I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's, we don't always see how things are connected. And to me, it just, it's, it's interesting looking back and, cause I mean, uh, shout out to, I'm assuming one of them, Ricardo and. Hetse and Sarai. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to be watching this. And, you know, it's, it's just interesting how you, you put your seeds, your, you put your, your work in, in the in service of the Lord. And, you know, that fruit is growing. And, and now they're over here. I mean, a couple months back, Ricardo and, and Hetsen were leading a high school retreat. And Hetse herself, shout out to Hetse. In an arbor, and so <laughs> yeah, she just made it through her first year of college and loves the Lord and is going to church still. <laughs> so, and so, yeah. Sarai yeah. is helping to lead the youth group, yeah. So, that that's my I mean, if you want a personal glory story, that would just be having them live across the street, help me find this house. They would come over when they were little, and um, they know this house as well as I do. They give people tours whenever they come over, and to see them now in their teens. Um, Ricky and Hetze going to to to, to college, and Sarai uh, helping with her youth group as a high school student. That for me, that's that's the joy of that's community. And their mom, I know because we, well, mostly our friendship developed because she was a catechist at St. Gabriel Parish and is an amazing catechist. And watching her develop and get her certificate of theology at Sacred Heart Seminary and. Now she, she just recently got certified as a RCIA coordinator and seeing her minister uh, to, to so many people coming, helping them to come into the church. So uh, that's, yeah, those, those are great glory stories to me. And, and I think that's just one example of just many, many other young people who have grown up here who are doing really well. In a way, I what I like about these episodes is that they're kind of like every now and then I look back to episodes I did three years ago, and it, it it's almost like a piece of history has been saved, and it it brings me back memories. And so, in a way, these episodes, uh, God willing, will be listened to by future generations, and and that's kind of why I, I bring up all these like history, try to connect historical moments, some context. That way they're like, oh, okay. Uh, but jumping back to Genevieve, um, I want to talk a little bit about her experience with the Holy Spirit. And so um, she was obviously someone who had uh, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. What can you tell us about? You, you shared already uh, some things about life in the Spirit, and uh, but what, what can you tell us about uh, your relationship with the Holy well, my Spirit. My relationship yeah. with the Holy Spirit. Well, just the amazing fact that with baptism, confirmation, 
the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. The Holy Trinity, because God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that that it's a reality. Something happens. I mean, God's everywhere, and we there we breathe. I mean, he's always with us, baptized not, firm not. But those sacraments of baptism and confirmation bring with them that amazing grace of the indwelling of the Blessed Trinity. And the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and that image of waters coming up into eternal life. For me, it's it's that's what keeps me still going and doing what I'm doing. It's it's the power of God in me. And I feel that also there's always more. Like I wish I could be more sensitive. I could depend more on the power of the Holy Spirit. I you know, I read the stories like Genevieve and you know, there's other stories of the saints and they do all these amazing things. And I'm like, I wish I could be like more amazingly connected to the Holy Spirit. But knowing that, well, God will take me though. And in my imperfect way, as I'm open to him, he will use me in different ways. Chance encounters of just, you know, you know, every time I sit on the plane and I say, Lord, use me to witness to you, to somebody next to me. Every time I say that prayer, he gives me an opportunity. And it might be like one time I had this acidic Jew sitting next to me with these curls, Shanghai. And um, I had this word. It was like fire. And I'm like, oh, maybe the fire of God's burning, like love for God's burning in him. And then I'm, I look over and he's reading this magazine with with girls in bathing suits. And I'm like, Oh no, maybe it's a different kind of fire. <laughs> and I'm not good at starting conversations, but cause I knew God had put this on my heart. You know, you just say, Oh, like, how's the food? You know, like, cause he had earplugs on, but he took them off to eat. I ended up talking with him and saying, just being able to say to him, you know, God put it on my, he was part of a, a, a Jewish sort of sect that believed that a few people we're holy and got to be with God forever. And the rest just had paradise on earth. I don't know. Like it was one of those sort of like, he wasn't among the saints. And I, I said, I feel that God has put it on my heart that he wants you to live pure life. He wants you to live your life for him. And he has full communion. So I was able to, and he kept saying to me, are you a Maria? Like a, like a nun. But in the end, he ended up kind of spilling out like, how he'd been in LA with his cousin and he'd gone to these clubs, but he was really sorry. And he had like an opportunity to sort of um, have a little kind of like venting of his soul. And I, I told him I'd pray for him. So those kind of encounters that I never saw him again, but it was the Holy spirit who put that word on my heart. But then I think sometimes if we just live our life and pray our prayers and say, I want to be open to you, God. He'll just sort of lead us in ways to speak with the people closest to us sometimes, just the right time, the right word. Um, or pray over someone like Genevieve, you know, prayed over those people during the plague and 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 God's healed them, like just being open to the Holy Spirit in a lot of different ways can make a big impact on the world. And this may be personal, but uh, where has the Holy Spirit been hitting you at this point? Pray. Pray for the children of the world. My mom and I have devotions together. I've been helping my mom, 95. And um, 
staying with her a lot right now. And I always like pray for the children. There's so many children all over the world that are being trafficked and uh, just you know, all the things that kids are involved in right now, refugee camps and um, the kids that are in really nice houses, but don't have anybody to love them or care for them. Like there's just so much need. So praying for children praying for young people. And then I feel like I'm at a time of, I'm sort of like asking God to help me find his place, my place in the next phase. You know, I'm sort of like not exactly quite transition, but probably like maybe it's time for me to get into like praying and fasting and taking vigil <laughs> over my city. When I look only, back only, at St. Genevieve, you know, two a week. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like I'm waiting for that phase to come right now. It's still pretty active, but uh, I have a feeling, you know, I'm going to move into that, that, that phase at some point in the next few years. So I think that's on my heart, you know, just wanting to be able to uh, see where God wants me. And then right now, because it seems like he's not done with me in an active way to keep be able just to be able to um, do what he wants me to do in the way that he wants. Uh, and let me ask a practical question. How, how do you, how, how do you stay aware about those tugs that the Holy Spirit is asking you to do? Cause I mean, like um, for those who have been following the Lord, it's like, Oh, you know, you just pray and go to mass and, like for someone who maybe still doesn't know or is not, you know, on fire for the Lord, like talk about the Holy Spirit. They're like, well, what do you mean? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Living a, a good Catholic life, you know, going to church, being participating regularly in the sacrament of reconciliation. Being sure to complete all your, you know, your baptism, your confirmation. The sacrament of marriage is really important to, to live in with someone, to seal that with the sacrament of marriage. So sacramental life, prayer, time in front of the blessed sacrament, all those things can help scripture. Not used to reading the Bible. Open it up. Read it. Read the New Testament. Get fed from scripture. Find a Bible study, whatever. Like the more you can know about scripture, the better. I think chances to go on retreats can make a big difference. For me, I think also it's like throughout the day turning to God. And just like when I'm meeting with somebody, sharing a hard story of their life or something, uh, to say internally to say to God, help me to really listen. Help me to know the right question to ask. Help me to to love this person. So I think a lot for me of um, being sent to the Spirit comes from my prayer to love someone and to be able to speak words of love or, or do works of love. Like it's my heart. I feel like God's given me his heart for his people. So if I'm close to his heart and close to my heart and remembering to ask, like, Help me with this, Lord. It's not just me. It's you and me together. The right words or that for me, it's like throughout the day. And it's a lot of times an intercession for someone praying for someone that I get that tugger. 
And then he just arranges stuff sometimes. Like, I mean, he's the one that's arranging the whole thing. So it doesn't, he doesn't wait for me always to say, please. But like, I have a younger woman. I just a few weeks ago, I said, Lord, there's space in the house. If you want to send anybody. And I got a, a email from a priest saying there's a young woman from Japan who needs a place to live for two months. She's not, she's not Christian. She's probably Buddhist. I mean, for Internship. So she's coming on Saturday. I hope that that when she leaves, she'll she'll have you know be a Christian, but she might not. But she'll have a chance to be here in a Christian environment. And I'm definitely praying for her for us to be open to, to share pray for her faith. Yes, please All the pray, listeners, for her. pray for her. Yes, pray for my <laughs> my new house guest who's coming. So, so uh, I'm gonna jump it or go way back and. In- of this uh conversation uh i kind of interrupted you when you were kind of explaining describing that holy spirit moment when after you were finished uh what was it singing praises sing well praying in tongues praying in tongues uh i'd say it's very hard to describe that fire in your heart to someone who hasn't experienced it yet. Well, what can you tell us about that? There's a truth about the world and universe that all centers on God, the creator. So I think the first thing is real. It's not just a story or it's not just a concept. Real that there is all-powerful, almighty, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-loving God. and Sometimes I just stop and say, thank you that you were all loving, as well as all powerful, all knowing. So God is a person, and he created the universe. He created our world. He created us. So the story of salvation laid out in Scripture is he created man, the first man and woman to know him and walk in communion. God's a God of relationship. He's not like the force from Star Wars, or he's not like a great white light, like the person, he's a spirit, but an interactive, intelligent, loving being who created us and gave us bodies, um, created this whole world and created us amazing human beings to know him and to love him story of salvation starts creation and then you have the fall of the first men and women because God gave us free will because we can only love we can choose to love and that means we can choose not to love Uh, and Adam and Eve the first man and woman chose to turn from God and that's when sin came into the world and that rift was created between humankind and God. He never left us. He cared for them. He be with them, but communion was broken. So sin, sickness, darkness, violence, all of the, the failure that we see around us um, came into the world because of that break of between human beings and God. And the story of 
salvation, the fact that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings, is that God loved us and saw that we were incapable as human beings to make our way back to that perfect communion with him, that Jesus died and suffered and took the consequence of that rift in on himself. So, um, sorry, I keep, so, so for me, that moment of, of saying Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings was a moment of recognizing really the story of salvation and that Jesus wasn't just a great man. He wasn't just a teacher that he really was the savior, the Messiah and his death and resurrection and, and the, outpouring of the Holy Spirit changed forever the history of all mankind. Uh, and it's a real story. It's not just, it's not, it's, it's, it's a truth. It's not just a nice little story. It's a truth. Um, what the Bible says about creation, about salvation, about Jesus and about the life to come because God's ultimate plan is to bring us into perfect communion with him. And we will see him as he sees us and know him as we are known. And so I remember that peace that comes after our death, or if he comes again before we die, that our ultimate end is to be restored fully in communion with this amazing God who knows how to make a rose, um, who knows how to make a baby, who knows who, who has the capacity to bring into creation all that we see around us. We're going to see him and be like him and know him as we are known by him now. So that was, he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He's my Lord. I want to follow him. I want to obey him. I want to be on his side every time. (laughs) And there was that experience that pushed you to be here today. And from time to time reminds you of. It's my experience every day. Oh, is that he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. <laughs> he is. And I I don't always, I'm not always the best of subjects, you know, like I don't always live my life perfect, but he is always there and he's perfect and he's forgiving. He's loving. He knows us. He knows what we're made of. And so, so ready to uh, help us to continue to grow and to become more and more like him. So. I like how I was like, can you explain the, how the Holy Spirit has worked? And you just gave us the charisma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, it. So, I mean it is. maybe, maybe that's exactly what the person listening, how they're going to experience yeah. it. Well, it is because yeah. when he died, he, he died, he, he bore our sin. He rose again. So that means God, same spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that dwells in us. So it means the power of the Holy Spirit conquered death and sin. So he rose again. I mean, it's just like, I mean, the best deep, the best story of this is the passion of Christ. The best way to see it, you know, like just that moment when you see that his leg, just that life, his hand, you know, like he, he rose. But then before Jesus, the Holy Spirit was present, present in creation, um, Kings would get anointed, prophets would get anointed. But with Pentecost, which we just celebrated, Jesus poured, because of his death and resurrection, he was in a position to pour out his Holy Spirit on all mankind. So we have the Spirit of God available to us since the death and resurrection of Jesus and, 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 and Pentecost. 
in a way that the Holy Spirit was not available before. I mean, he's always been for all eternity, but there's something special about being Christians. And part of it has to do with that fact that that Holy Spirit's been poured out on men servants and maid servants and the young and the old. Like we all have access to that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead right within us. Thanks for sharing that, Sue. Um, I think that many Catholics, myself including, we, we didn't have really a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit for a long time. Uh, in part, out of ignorance, we just, you know, all we see is, I guess, a crucifix, and we see Jesus, and we we get to hear the love of God the Father. But in terms of the Holy Spirit, I think that's something that uh, a lot of us haven't really solidified. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the word. Uh, and so in part, it's uh, something that, that we all got to work with. And it's important to, because it's three persons in the Trinity yeah. and to, to want to know each one of them. And and the, the Holy Spirit, like you see, it's like a, like a dove or the wind, you know, like there's different ways it's depicted. But again, it's like Holy Spirit isn't a dove. That's a de- depiction, but yeah. the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, and it's like we, we say glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Like, like I, to the listeners, when was the last time you glorified the Holy Spirit, right? That's something I was thinking about the other day. I'm like, glory be to the Father, okay? I, I usually th- say, thank you, Father. Glory be to the Son, all right? I, I'm always thanking Jesus. But what about you, Holy Spirit? Why why do I ignore you? So mm-hmm. that's, that's something. Instead of saying, Holy Spirit, I'm about to speak, please anoint my words. Yeah. You know, like, and, and that we're... We're we're acting us and God, and the Holy Spirit can bring power and love and anointing and grace just by remembering to ask. So, if you don't mind, I'm I'm gonna just say a prayer for the Holy Spirit just to to be with us. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here with us. I want to thank you for Sue, and I just ask that you. Help us to have understanding of your power. Help us to understand Jesus Christ. Help us to understand the Father. Although our small minds cannot comprehend the mystery of the Holy Trinity, we ask that you give us a glimpse into the mystery of the love between the Father and the Son that is you, Holy Spirit. I ask that you may pour your your grace, your power on the listeners to give, to give greater clarity to any confusion that they give and that for the remainder of this podcast, you may really strengthen us. Come Holy Spirit. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son. Amen. All right, Sue, so um, we're going to wrap things up very soon, but before we do, I want to talk a little bit about the the youth, the future. You know, said you, you guys are the future. Portense bien. <laughs> don't get into trouble, right? Um, I don't know what what hopes do you have for the for the future generation that will be in our shoes five to ten years from now? Oh, my hope would be yeah. My hope would be, <laughs> get, get to remember. Sorry, I'll start hoping and dreaming and I'll get really quiet. My hope would be that the young people who are not married would 
have the teaching and formation and support that they need to really live pure lives, to um, save themselves for marriage, to uh, take a good time to discern if God wants them to live a, a religious life or a consecrated life or an ordained life. But if they're, that's not all, not all are called to that, that those who are called to marriage, that they would really see their, their marriage as a call from God and that we could help them understand God's call to be domestic church, what it means to be a family that is centered on God. And that we could, like my hope for the church would be that we can give the support to the young couples. They need to be able to live out their lives as Catholics in the context of their homes and that they would continue to receive strength and support and encouragement from the church as well as the sacramental grace that um, people who are getting married would, would not stop getting that sacrament of marriage, that they would enter into the fullness and that um, as young people get married, that they would be able to learn how to support one another. So like a little vision I would have would be young people. Cause so Southwest Detroit, but just in general, you know, like not everybody's going to join a Christian community. Like I'm part of That would be a hope for many people that they would join a community like me so they can actually officially be supporting one another with small groups and you know, classes on being parents and just the support that I see that um, we're able to, for one another in a community. But I think many young people that can have that heart and hunger for it, but aren't in a position maybe to commit to a full-fledged community or even movement. But I would like to see those young people get married with the sacrament of marriage, understanding their call, and cluster around parishes and continue to be engaged in parishes and learn ways to, like have picnics together, have meals together. Um, you know, do Bible studies, like do things together. And I think it happens informally in Southwest Detroit with some of the families and parishes, but it's so informal that it just, there's not a real easy way to replicate it. But if there's some way that we could learn in our parishes to encourage that kind of um, community that people are longing for and to keep people engaged so that they then are able to serve because it they it's only going to work people have a heart to give back as well as to receive so that would be part of my vision too that kind of like what we see with all of you young adults who who are pouring yourselves out that that would continue after you're married and it won't just end like a lot of times people serve and they're in groups and stuff single and then they get married and then they just kind of disappear we need those young married couples to continue to be engaged in, in our life and in our church. And they need us too. So, Yeah, because I mean, I do have family members who were in Jornadas and very uh, powerful experiences. Thanks to their hard work, I'm, you know, close to the Lord. Uh, and they're living out their vocation. They, ha they have kids. Um, but I, I think, I think it, I've heard, what was it, Ralph Martin? sometimes says that there's always more yeah you know and so i think that's also something that i would like to see uh for for couples that there's always a deeper 
union with the Lord. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I, I would I would like to see that too. Deeper uh, union with the Lord and also stronger fellowship among Christians, stronger relationships among us as Christians. There, there's more there too that I think God wants to do in terms of brotherly and sisterly dating. And then what words of encouragement would you give to those of us who are in the front lines, you know, not yet married, but still, you know, out here doing what we can in the service of the Lord? Well, I think my word of encouragement would be, I think it's going to get harder. <laughs> Carry the cross, yeah, be ready. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be more chaotic. I think we're watching kind of like a lot of just, Disintegration of society around us, you know. I Animal the Hunt. Animal the Hunt is on the Animal the Hunt is on the way. So, so it is. But my word of encouragement is: where sin abound, grace abounds. Like I am convinced that God has, like, a, a great outpouring of this wonderful, sweet Spirit that we've been talking about. This powerful Holy Spirit. I think there's a wave of outpouring that's going to happen that will match and supersede all of the craziness and, and chaos and difficulty. So my, and I think like I, I prayed over a young person a couple of years ago and I just had the sense like, you know, people tell you, Oh, it must be so hard to be a young person. I feel so sorry for you trying to be a Catholic in this world. And, but my sense, and I would say this to all of you young people is what an amazing time to be alive and be young. Because the battle's getting more intense, but you have everything that you need to fight this battle. You have got it with the sacrament, scripture, your relationship with Jesus. You have so much. And as the world gets crazier and darker, what you have will shine brighter and brighter. And you've got it. So I'm like, I wish, I, I really wish I were young. I wish I were young and I, I could just be right there in the front lines but I'm I'm gonna try and stay around and be uh, praying and fasting for all of you. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm but um, I think it's an exciting time would to you, be a would young you person. Would you say that there are? How would I say this? There are different areas in the battlefield. So we've got the ones in the front lines, and then perhaps we've got the Gen Saint Genevieve's who are off in the distance. Yeah. So. Who might be on the front lines, actually, yeah. in the end. The yeah. interceders are probably yeah. the ones that are like, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, everybody has, a, again, they have, you have your place. And, and God has a place for each one of you who are listening. He's got a purpose, a call. He's got his good works already prepared for you. So don't ever think that you are relevant or you don't have anything to offer. You've been created by God, gifted by God, and he, called by God wants to position you. So we all have a part to play. Thanks, so. I think last words of encouragement that I will give is that the story of St. Peter after the resurrection and close to his death when he was, I forget, he was leaving somewhere because word was that he was going to be crucified. And then Jesus appears to him heading, I think, in that direction. And Peter's like, where are you going, Jesus? And he says, oh, I'm going off to get crucified. And so in a way, it was just a, a reminder to Peter that you're going to die, but through that death, there's a resurrection. And I think it may not seem like encouragement, but I, I think 
be be happy in the cross, be happy. And I mean, what we experience is nothing compared <laughs> to the early martyrs, you know, being fed to the lions. But even in a way, I think that the the story of salvation has uh, almost like when we look at a movie, we're not like, oh yeah, there was a problem and then it was solved. It was like, oh, and then this happened, and then things escalated, and then people died. And so in a way, like the, the more challenging, the more exciting yeah. in a way. So I'd yeah. say just, just be happy that, that God has placed us in such a great story of salvation. And, and you talked about martyrs, early martyrs. This is the age of more martyrs sure. than ever. I mean, there are places in the world, and that's the, that's the other thing it, is – we have we're so blessed to have freedom to have so you know I'm I I'm sure I've got five at least five Bibles in this house you know uh, we have freedom to worship we have Bibles we have so much economic stability in our lives even the people who think they don't have anything have got so much more than so many people in the world and um, I think we really need to be good stewards of that. But there are people in other parts of the world who are suffering for their faith and being martyred for their faith more than in the early days. So it's and it's a possibility for any of us to to face that. But like you said, it's God gives you strength for that and the other side of it is eternal life with God. So we don't even need to be afraid of martyrdom if it comes our way. Yeah. Oh. Thanks for this time. So do you have any any last thoughts or messages you want to share with the listeners? Well, just thank you, Ricardo, for all your hard work in this. And I I like what you said about what you're doing is building a library that will have impact over time. I like that. I like that thought. So I just want to encourage you to on this project and all the other things you do to serve the Lord. Thanks so. So I'd like to close off these episodes by having the guests close off in prayer. And then after you close off in prayer, uh, I'm going to invite the listeners to pray the rosary. Then you'll say pray the rosary. And then together, the last time, the third time, we'll say pray the rosary. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, you could close us off in prayer. And then you'll say pray the rosary. I'll say I'll pray say, the rosary. I'll say pray they'll the rosary. say it. And then together, the last time. Okay. We'll say Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for those who are listening. Thank you for the great gift of life. Thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Love you. We want to honor you, obey you, live for you. Pray for a greater outpouring of your Spirit in each of our lives, a greater openness to your work. I pray for anybody who's listening, who is seeking you, who is wondering what your plan is for their life, that you will guide them and lead them and give them good counselors, good people to listen and advise. Pray for anybody who's married and raising children, that you'll give them the wisdom that they need to love one another as husband and wife and to raise their children. Pray for the single men and women who are walking with you and looking for your purpose and plan for their life, that you will reveal it to them. Father, we do put before you all the children in this world who 
are suffering in so many different ways, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. We just ask for mercy that you would intervene, that you would bring help, that you would help the adults of this world to repent and receive from you the wisdom they need to care for these children. Pray for the young people all over the world, uh, living in such secular societies. Uh, just pray for that you would reach them, touch their spirits, those who are hungry and thirsty, that you would lead them to water, lead them to the well that will give them eternal life. We pray for all of our work and ministry and service, that you would help us to open to the help of your spirit, go about our days. Thank you, praise you. We thank you, Mary, sweet mother of God, for your example, your presence, for your protection on us. Pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, well, thank you, Sue, again for uh, joining us on this episode. Thank you for allowing us to record this episode in your home. Uh, to all the people who listen to this, if you would like to support the mission of Café Con Santos, you can do so by liking and subscribing to this YouTube channel. You can share these videos with family and friends. Most importantly, you could keep us in your prayers. I hope that you have an awesome rest of the day. Please, please, please always remember, pray the rosary. Pray the rosary. Pray the rosary. Pray the rosary. Oh. You got it wrong. <laughs> All right, we'll try again. And please, please, please always remember, pray the rosary. Pray the rosary. Pray, pray the, the rosary. rosary. <laughs>